So Money Episode 997, Michelle Bosch, real estate investor and co-founder of Orbit Investments. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Not very many women are being given advice on the offensive side on how can I go and start even with a, you know, with a, with a small deal and start investing in something that can, you know, in an asset where I can slowly, you know, start shifting from paying for my lifestyle from my job or for whatever, for whatever you're doing right now, whatever your cash machine is right now to, to assets becoming your cash machine, basically that, that fuel that income. My guest today has bought and sold over 4,000 pieces of real estate and built the third largest land investment and auction company in the country. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Michelle Bosch first got interested in real estate investing when her father passed away at a young age, and she saw firsthand how real estate was able to build generational wealth and create passive income for the family, even during times of tragedy. With that appreciation of how powerful real estate investing can be, she and her husband went on to build an eight-figure land investment and auction company with not that much experience. Now she's teaching others how to do the same and create financial security for their family. Here's Michelle Bosch. Michelle Bosch, welcome to So Money. Thank you so much for having me, Farnoosh. I am so excited and very honored to be here. This is going to be really, really fun. I know a lot of my listeners care about investing and building wealth, and you have done such a tremendous job of doing that through real estate. And we're not talking like Airbnbs here. We're talking land. We're talking commercial properties. We're talking big buildings, multifamily. And you did all of this as an immigrant. So let's go to the beginning of your story. I know that your father was a huge influence on your trajectory as you came to the United States. It's kind of thinking about how are you going to build a life here? So take us back to when you were a young girl living in Honduras. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I, I was uh, born in Honduras and um, I was born into, you know, a, a wonderful, you know, what would be called a middle class family. My father uh, was an attorney. Uh, my mother was an elementary school teacher. And uh, at a very young age, you know, my my father passed away. But I think probably a year before passing away, he had made an investment. He had sold some land that he owned, you know, in in a rural parts of the country and invested that money into commercial property in the city. And um, and it that decision of investing really was uh, pivotal, I think, uh, for how, you know, my life journey has turned out in that, you know, that investment produced cash flow, whether he was there or not, he was able to, you know, take care of my mother and I financially, even though he was physically not there, um, you know, and, um, and, and his loss for us was, you know, as big as the sky, but from a financial standpoint, I feel, I feel that, you know, that investment decision that he did, um, 
really, really helped us out. Um, you know, it afforded a great private education for myself to attend a bilingual school, to learn English, you know, something that, you know, my mother with, you know, a 30 something year old mother with a, an elementary school teacher salary would have not been able to afford. So that that's kind of like the backstory back home. I, I, you know, I come to the U.S. also as a result of, you know, having that you know, financial cushion of being able to afford a university here in the U.S. And so I come here in 1997 um, to college to get a degree in finance. I, you know, I meet my husband there who's also an immigrant. And once we graduated, you know, we did what um, everyone else does. You know, we we got a job in corporate America. We were earning well, um, but, you know, we we hated it. We realized that we didn't have the freedom of time the freedom of money, the freedom of purpose. And yes, we were, uh, quote unquote, living the American dream, but we were living paycheck to paycheck, you know, working 60, 70, 80 hour, you know, weeks. And, and so we quickly realized that we needed to shift from, you know, being what I call income statement earners, basically exchanging hours for dollars from, from a job to being balance sheet earners. And what I mean by that is basically owning assets or creating an asset-based business that can, you know, that spits out cash flow and that can really pay for your lifestyle and that can give you, you know, that freedom. Um, because uh, because this, this myth of passive cash flow, it is possible. It is, you know, I experienced it firsthand, you know, from, from someone that made a decision, you know, before they passed away and um, it cannot get as passive more passive than that, than, you know, being, being gone, physically gone and still providing and taking care for your family. Um, and so, so yeah, so that's kind of how we, how we started. Yeah. And, and so how you got started was through flipping land, as mm -hmm. I, I've heard you talk about this, like flipping dirt, um, which yeah. is, I think should be the title <laughs> of your book. We'll talk about that later. How did you learn about this? I mean, I know that you had this amazing legacy of your father driving you perhaps fueling your confidence in knowing yeah. that this is like a risk worth taking. But there's like, I'm sure people are listening and being like, where do you even begin with this? Like, how did you actually do this? And then not only do it once, but do it so many times and successfully. So, so yeah, I had experience first, you know, firsthand, you know, what passive cash flow was, but that doesn't mean that I entirely own that confidence. You know, I was yesterday standing on, on the, sh you know, on the shoulders of, of, of his confidence and making that investment, but I kind of had to figure that out for myself. And when we started looking at real estate, um, it was daunting. There's so many, you know, you could be rehabbing, you can doing, you can be doing fix and flips. You can be doing, you know, long-term holds, you can be doing multifamily, you could be doing, you know, uh, note investing. There's so many ways to kind of like skin the cat when it comes to real estate. And a lot of those for us, uh, to be frank for Anoush, because we were both not from here, um, they seem complicated for us. You know, uh, we didn't have any credit. It's not that we had bad credit, but because we were fresh in the country, we just didn't have any, um, you know, we had no idea how stuff was built here. So trying to go and buy a home, repair it, and then flip, flip it again was uh, a daunting task for us. We didn't know how to estimate repairs, anything about roofs, about foundations, about, you know, uh, mortgages, dealing with tenants, all of that seemed, um, a lot for us. And we kind of stumbled into this asset class of land uh, because I found out here in the U.S. that there is something called tax lien and 
and tax deed auctions. And that means that sometimes when people don't pay their property taxes um, over a course of years, you know, that property can go to an auction. So uh, that was a concept that was so foreign from, you know, for me that you're going to lose your property over property taxes that I couldn't, I couldn't fathom. I'm like, we, I got to go check it out. Uh, very quickly, I realized there that a lot of the properties that were coming up for auction were actually pieces of land. And I'm like, well, if people are letting go of their properties at auction, because, you know, the owners weren't there to really, you know, bid on those properties or anything. Um, other investors were there and, um, and I'm like, maybe we can start contacting, you know, these owners way in advance, um, and, and see if they would want to directly sell the property to us way before, you know, they go to auction and, and through a lot of trial and error over a course of, you know, a few years, we developed a methodology where we, you know, would send direct mail to, you know, lists of property owners of vacant land. And to this day, we're able to acquire land for anywhere between five to 25 cents on the dollar and then sell it at 60 or 80% of market value. And, and we sell it in two ways. We sell it either for cash, you know, or we can sell it by somebody giving us a down payment and then making payments over the course of the next five, 10, 15 years. And so, that's where for us, we were able to start kind of like replicating what my experience had been back home of passive cash flow uh, by, by basically offering and extending seller financing to people where if I was selling a property for, say, $20,000, they would give me a down payment of $2,000 and then make monthly payments of 300, you know, 400, 500. And, um, you know, since 2003 now for almost 18 years, we flipped over 4,000 pieces of property. We, um, you know, we've able to create about $70,000 of passive ca cash flow just from the land and, um, and over, you know, $12 million in notes just, just on land. And, and that kind of was like the cornerstone for us to really kind of like gain, um, gain the confidence, you know, the courage, the capability, the cash flow to then start moving to other asset classes like single family homes like we did back in 2009. And eventually in 2016, we wanted to turbocharge the passive cash flow and started investing, like you mentioned earlier, in large multifamily, like apartment buildings of 100 plus units and so on. But it's it it was a result of of um, of we realizing that a lot of the other asset classes out there were complicated. We didn't have the capability, the conf, you know, the confidence and the skills. So we needed to really start with with a class where we could really wrap our head around it, our arms around it, really master, focus, you know, and and rinse and repeat one one deal, two deals, three deals, four deals, five deals, and that that repetition eventually, you know, creates mastery. And when with mastery. In my opinion, you know, that land business became almost like a PhD in making money. You have an MBA in finance. It's clear you are not afraid of numbers. And you did just highlight the four C's of uh, what you call unlocking purpose and prosperity. This you teach to thousands of people, confidence, courage, capability, cash flow. I'd love to zero in on the capability part of, of this because yeah. I think you can have confidence, you can be courageous. Then sometimes the next roadblock is your capability. That's the next step before cash flow. So whether it's 
flipping real estate, land, or some other sort of passive income. Can you talk a little bit about strategically or tactically how to find that capability in your life, especially because you're talking to a lot of people now who, you know, we are spent, like we are, we're working day jobs, we have families, we have to find the capacity, we have to find the capacity to do this and then the capability. So how do we do that? What do you, what do you teach? So, so for, for us, you know, in the land space, it took us about three years and a lot of uh, hard work and drive and perseverance to like stick with it. Um, ever since then, though, we have quickly realized that sometimes it's not, it is important the what and the how. But in order to get to those, it doesn't entirely have to depend on you, that you can really start focusing on who's in your life and people that you can model, that you can, you know, uh, invest in education. Um, and, And ever since, you know, when we wanted to start, you know, investing in the next asset class, which was single family homes, we went out there and invested in ourselves and in, in educating ourselves. Uh, but next time we moved up the asset class to multifamily, we did the same. We actually team and partner with someone that had done it before that I had just acquired the asset, but had efficiently operated the asset and then had sold it for much more, you know? And so you want to start thinking about uh, who's, because who's I think are are the key to collapsing time uh, in terms of learning curve in you being able to borrow from their confidence and t- stand on the shoulders of their confidence and capability. And then as you do it alongside them, um, you you start developing that, you know, for yourself as well. It's, it's just something that, that will come. Um, but um, a, a key ingredient, I think, is, is, um, is recognizing that uh, sometimes we always want to wait for the right time for things. We want to wait until we get the promotion, until we have more time or until our kids start school. And and I just want to say that sometimes if, if you want to make a change and start, you know, shifting from, you know, from from just earning in a job uh, that you might not even like, you know, to start moving some of your effort and energy into, you know, investing in assets in my case, you know, real estate that, that you need to, to, to not wait, you know, uh, courage loves, you know, I, I always say courage loves speed and fear loves time. Fear wants you to overanalyze to, you know, to be paralyzed and, and, and so I would say just take baby steps. And maybe the first step is education, finding someone, a who that aligns with your core values, you know, um, that aligns in, in, in terms of not just building um, wealth, which is the hard cash and, and so on also, you know, but also that that is about whole life leadership that, you know, that is about prosperity, that is purpose driven and, and, and learn from, you know, from that person, um, you know, our very first apartment building, we could have not taken that on, on our, you know, by ourselves. It was a $4 million purchase, uh, 96 units out in North Carolina. And we, we knew that we could help, you know, do fundraising, uh, but we had no idea on how to, you know, procure the deal, how to uh, operate the deal once the, you know, once we had purchased the property, how to even put a financing package. Yes, I had, you know, I might have the education and an, an MBA, like you said, uh, but uh, that's not necessarily something that, it, you know, that you that you get out of an MBA degree. I mean, like how to talk to to a bank, to a lending institution, you know, how to present your numbers and so on and so forth. Um, it, it comes with with just, you know, you doing the work. And, and, and if you don't know any 
of it, you know, maybe partnering with someone or investing in education with someone in terms of, you know, so that you can really borrow from their, from their confidence, from their capability. You're obviously really bullish on real estate and you call it a simple, safe and predictable investment, but some people would not characterize it as, as that, especially if you talk to people who lost their homes in the housing crisis, right? Yeah. Or who've yeah. gone through foreclosure or didn't have success. And what are the truths that you hold on to when it comes to real estate over the long term that keeps you continuing to invest? Yeah, I think it, it it's like it's like any other investment in that you need to know, you know, the timing of the market and, um, and you need to understand what side to play depending on the timing of the market. Um, and so from 2003 to 2000 and, you know, and eight, we did not look at any property that had improvements on it, at least here in the city of Phoenix, where I was from, you know, where I still live, um, I, you know, it didn't make sense for us to buy any rental properties because the cash flow, you know, the free cash flow just wasn't there. So we put our blinders on and we focused only on land. And um, and and then, you know, Phoenix was for sale in 2009 at the beginning of 2009. And and that's when we recognized, OK, now is the time for us to go and, you know, start investing. And we we were able to purchase houses. Uh, you know, workforce housing, forty, fifty thousand dollar homes, um, put in maybe ten thousand dollars worth of repairs, and rent them for nine hundred or eleven hundred dollars, and um, and and kind of allocate some of the cash flow from from the land, you know, in in into houses. But what I would say is that even in in the land space, you know, we continue to we continue doing it through the recession. And now in an upswing again, and, and, and what I think is that in my experience, land, at least people that invest in land have a much more long-term horizon, long-term thinking. And even though I had, you know, a bunch of people owing me money, you know, because we were extending loans, we saw maybe at the end of the day, after us being proactive about it, maybe a 10% in default rate um, from people that were, you know, if I would see that somebody was getting behind 30 or 60 days, uh, we would just like the bankers were extending loan modifications to people that were selling, you know, that were uh, losing their homes. We extended the same, you know, to customers, to our clients that, you know, that were making monthly installments on the land. So from a default standpoint, you know, in, in terms of our, our, our notes not performing even in a recession um it was it was minimal compared to you know hundreds of people like you said that completely lost their shirts you know during that downturn and i think it's 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 important to recognize where you're in the market even in in, in not just the market in general macro uh, as a country because there's different within you know the macro environment there's micro environments and different cities or submarkets where maybe they're on the upswing when everyone you know when everyone else is coming down and so it's it's preparing yourself is i know from you know from 2008 and 2009 that cash is king because it was king back then so as i prepare right now for the future again you know um now in the multifamily space you know be being as liquid as i can um is 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 a is a great strategy to uh, really be a contrarian when when everyone else is selling and losing their shirt, you know, um, kind of like have the stomach to 
beat to your own, you know, to march to your own beat and, and, and buy when everyone else is selling. Um, and it, it requires a, a contrarian, you know, kind of thinking and, and being okay with that. And, and I think I can rest in the strength that we've done it once. And, and, and the first time it kind of like happened to us just because, like I said, we couldn't get into the housing market in the beginning because it was too complex for us. Um, but because I have, I rest in the strength of that, you know, of that capability of that experience to now go prepare for whatever might come in 2020, 2021, 2022, who knows? We've had one of the, you know, a, a, a 10 year run in terms of a bullish, uh, market when it comes to real estate. And so, yeah, a correction will happen. And I hope to be prepared and to be on the right side pretty much. Let's hope. Let's hope. Um, <laughs> what What would you say? I'm sure you've had a lot of lessons learned, hard lessons learned along the way. What mm-hmm. would you say was your biggest financial failure, and what did you learn? Yeah, I, I I think the the biggest financial failure I think came actually from team building because, um, like I said, we we've instead of um, we've been entrepreneurs, you know, since we decided to head, you know, to leave our corporate jobs. And, um, and with entrepreneurship comes, um, you having to actually build a team and, um, and with that comes, you know, investing in their development, not just in recruiting, but in developing them, uh, from a whole life leadership standpoint in really honing in on, uh, core values on a vision, on a mission. And I had, you know, a, a time in that entrepreneurial journey as investors where that wasn't our focus or our focus was the what and, and, and the, you know, and the how and, um, and core values. I'm like, I don't know that, that, that didn't seem to me like it was something that was going to like black and white show me how that affects my PL. And, and I had a lot of turnover, you know, from, from, um, from employee, from, from staff and HR headaches and so on and so forth. So I think, um, one of the biggest mistakes, I think now that I, have created a team that does align with core values, that does talk about vision, that does talk about mission, you know, that, that is really, um, like this beautiful, well-oiled machine. I know that the ease, the adaptability for us to go and capture an opportunity, a market is, is so much easier because I'm not having to deal with, you know, with those headaches, like the right team, you know, in the bus on the right seats, uh, going and knowing where the bus is heading. And um, I, I know now that costed me a lot of money. I can probably quantify it, you know, in a in a dollar amount. But um, I would say that um, that if I would have recognized that sooner, it, it would have been a different, you know, story. And it, it this is something, a recognition that only came, you know, pop up maybe six, seven years ago. And ever since then, you know, our, you know, how we go about team building has been um, completely different, you know? So, so it was the hiring that was, uh, yeah, the big problem. Yeah. I mean, the, they say, yeah. take your time hiring because it's, it's hard to fire. It's costly. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, costly yeah. to fire. What was your biggest win? What was one of your earliest biggest financial wins that you felt, okay, this I'm on the right track. What was the evidence to you, financial evidence to you, that moment that you're like, okay, we need to double down on this. Mm-hmm. It was actually not a big dollar amount. Um, we had, you know, purchased our first piece of land uh, for about 600 bucks here in Northern Arizona, close to, you know, uh, the white mountain Lake area. And, um, we, we had purchased a property we, we found, you know, through, you know, the methodology that I explained to you earlier, 
you know, somebody that didn't want their property. They're like, you can have it. You know, I, you know, I'm, I'm like, well, what do you want for it? I'm like, just send me an offer. We extended an offer for like $600. Cause we didn't have a lot, you know, to our name back then when we started, we, we had great corporate jobs, but we still live paycheck to paycheck. You know, we had uh, payments on our car, on our sofa, on our laundry machine, on our bed, on our, you know, on everything. And so I'm like, well, you know, I'd be willing to offer like about $600. You know, they, the, the, the family took it. I still remember their last name, the Coronas up here in Northern Arizona. And so we go, um, and you know, put stakes on the ground, find our piece of land and a for sale sign, uh, put, you know, ads on the newspaper because back then I didn't do, I didn't know anything about online marketing. Everything was all new. So everything, plus I'm dating myself. I'm a little bit older, you know, I'm in my forties. So it was newspapers were the way back then when we first started. And, um, and as we are staking that piece of land, the neighbors uh, from next door come on over and say, hey, um, are you guys the owners of this property? And we're like, yeah, well, we would love to buy it. We've been trying to get a hold of the seller for years. And for some reason, you know, we we have not been able to. And, um, and, and sure enough, you know, we ourselves had, you know, to um, find the new address of the, of the seller, you know, because what the address of was on records and the County records, uh, was not the correct one, but we were able to find them, you know, just being resourceful and, and they're like, we would like to buy it. And, and we're like, well, of course it's, it's for sale. And we're like, what would you uh, like to pay? And since we had zero negotiation skills for Anoush, like zero, and Jack being from Germany, like Germans do not negotiate. If anything, I come from the side of the world where more of the negotiation is happening. Um, they they said, you know, I, I'd be willing to pay $4,000. And we're like, well, we paid 600 bucks for it. This We didn't negotiate at all. We're like, we'll take it. They invited us, you know, for lunch even. Um, and um, a couple weeks later, after, you know, title had come out clean and everything was okay. We, we closed on that property and all of a sudden we had, you know, a, a beautiful profit of $3,400. And even though that was a small deal, it wasn't like this crazy amount of money. It really, um, sculpted my spirit and, and Jack's spirit as well, you know, and that, wow, yes, we can do this. We, you know, it, it, it's, it's that slow buildup of confidence from knowing that you, that you've done it and that, you know, then if you've done it once, I can probably do it again and again and again and again. And um, so, yeah, so it, it wasn't necessarily a big one. But for me, that was um, the most transformational one, because like you said, that gave me concrete evidence that there was going to be real money in my bank account uh, from flipping land. My gosh. So $3,400 profit coming from 600. That's what? More than five. It's like almost six Xing. Yes. Yes. Great and, and, story. Yeah. And, and so, um, and so sometimes it's not, it doesn't have to be, I think at the beginning, a big windfall. Now we are actually only flipping property where we, where we have splits of 30, 40, 50, a hundred, $150,000, but we had to start with the little ones, you know, and, and those little ones were just, are, in my opinion, are just as important in, in, in really sculpting your spirit than the big ones, um, can be sometimes a big one. They're not as easily, you know, replicatable and the little ones are, you know, you can really, uh, build confidence on sheer volume of those smaller, smaller transactions. Yeah. Do you feel like you've made it or you feel like there's so much more left to do, to accomplish? I know you have big visions for 2020, but for many, your accomplishments, they'd be like, okay, 
I'm retiring early. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, we have been now since 2000 and really since 2007, we have been, we, we feel like, you know, we, we were there, we were completely out of the rat, you know, rat, rat race, our, you know, our entire lifestyle has been paid, you know, from, from, from passive cash flow. And, and I think, um, I'm, I'm a person that always believes in being a, in a constant state of becoming. Um, so what I have learned now is that, you know, yeah, I might have the, the, the wealth creation down and there's many more things to learn, even in the commercial space, you know, higher properties, um, you know, higher value properties, um, different ways to really, you know, fund those transactions, um, you know, funds, we're looking into creating a fund in Germany. Um, so there's always things, things to learn. And, 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 and I think the most important thing for me that I've, that I've come to realize over the last, you know, I would say several, two, three years, um, at least for me, I think Jack found this much more often or much sooner, I should say, is that, um, there, there, there are two aspects that people confuse. Like we, we've always set up to create what we call generational legacy and generational legacy wealth, but that is not enough. The hard cash assets um, that produce cash flow are not enough if you don't also have prosperity. And what I mean by that is prosperity has to do with with purpose. It has to do with passion. It has to do with health, with vitality, you know, with continuing, you know, to increase your capabilities, to continue to refine your genius, your strengths, you know, and offer them, uh, you know, some of those to the, to the world, you know, in, in a way, give back. So, um, I'm, I'm really passionate now about getting more women, you know, to invest in real estate uh, as women, not just in this country, Farnoosh, we have come from being, you know, really property to now owning property. You know, oh so we, we, we've, we've gone a long way from being the property the statement, right? <laughs> Yeah, wow. to be to owning property, and I want to see more women investing in real estate. And and a lot of the advice that I see and I hear out there is very defensive type of advice. You know, uh, cut coupons. You know, reduce your which which are completely valid. Those are very valid. And as a CFO of my own, you know, conglomerate and my own companies, investing companies, I look at that as well. You know, things that we need to cut, uh, unnecessary expenses. You know, shifting. You know, from fixed costs to variable costs, and so on and so forth. So that all those defensive strategies are are right, but I don't see a lot of at least. For women, when I go to a lot of the, you know, the real estate uh, spaces and events, you know, where, you know, we're always talking uh, mainly men being there. Like I, I, I was at a, at a meeting, 60 men, six women, that's 10% of the women. And so not very many women are being given advice on the offensive side on how can I go and start even with a, you know, with a, with a small deal and start investing in something that can, you know, in an asset where I can slowly, you know, start shifting from paying for my lifestyle from my job or for whatever, for whatever you're doing right now, whatever your cash machine is right now to, to assets becoming your cash machine, basically that, that fuel that income. And so I'm, I'm really passionate about that. I want to, I want, you know, my own, you know, my own daughter to, to also, um, in, be involved in real estate. She hears us now talk about, you know, million dollar decisions and, and, and she's going to be standing on the shoulders of, of my confidence. So I'm hoping to, you know, 
to bring more women to invest in real estate. That's why I'm seeing you next week in your book to brand workshop. Um, I, you know, I, um, I started a podcast. Um, we were teaching now land flipping as well for several years now. And I am much more vocal and much more front stage, uh, in that educational business because I want to see more women, um, as well, you know, either, either if they're beginning investors, um, and want to become active investors in real estate, you know, I, I'd love to, um, you know, pass as much as, as my knowledge as I can through, you know, our land profit generator methodology, or if women have an amazing, you know, cash machine that they love, you know, because, you know, there's like, if you're a doctor and this is your, your life, you know, and you love it day in and day out, there's nothing wrong with you continuing to use that as your cash machine, but, but start to, you know, funnel some of those some of that cash, you know, into, into assets that if for any reason, God forbid you weren't there, you know, and you're the breadwinner that, that your family will have something that they can, you know, rely on. Um, just like, you know, somebody had had that foresight for me. So, um, so yeah, I definitely want that incredibly badly for women. Um, I think we're at a pivotal moment right now, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, women coming, or, or being much more wealthy, having access to much more wealth. And, and, um, I'm, I'm excited about helping them, you know, educate them on, on being great stewards of that wealth and not just maintaining it, you know, which it's defensive, but actually growing it. Um, and so, I mean, I can't support that enough and I really appreciate and thank you for elevating the discourse that we need to be having around money, especially women and money. You're right. Too much is about being on the defensive and budgeting and cutting coupons and just kind of keeping head above water. Well, what about generational wealth? What about becoming an entrepreneur? What about investing? I, I'm there with you, sister. I think it's so important and it, it is inevitable that this is where the conversation has to shift because there's this transference of wealth in case people weren't aware. It's like billions yeah. and billions and billions of dollars from the boomers to the generation uh, bef- uh, after them. And the recipients of that wealth largely will be women. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's the good news, I guess. But but we really need this education and this mindset shift so that we don't just take care of today, but that we're really creating a wealth that lasts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm all about that as well. I'm like, you're preaching to the choir there. I, want, I know, I know. <laughs> but I want to give a shout out to your programs and we will put this on the website, but it's uh, landprofitgenerator.com. We've got the podcast, which is called Forever Cash Podcast. Yeah. And the Inflow Podcast, which is specifically for women. And um, if you want to just check also, we have a free Facebook group, a community of incredibly generous people with their time, with their knowledge. It's called also Land Profit Generator Real Estate Investing Group. That's a free group on Facebook. Um, And you can just come and check it out, see what's going on. I love it. Thank you so much, Michelle. And I look forward to seeing you again. Thank you so much, Farnoosh. It was an honor to be here with you. Learn more about Michelle on her website, michellebosch.com. You can connect with her on Facebook and Instagram at Michelle Bosch Official. Her podcast is called Inflow Podcast. It's for women granting you access to prosperity through the world of passive cash flow, real estate investing, and spirituality to live a life in flow. All this information is on somoneypodcast.com. And while you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your questions for our Friday episodes. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope your day is so money.